just close our eyes and pray for Lorn. God, thank you that you've brought a message to his heart and speak through his mouth and his lips and make our hearts receptive to what you want to teach us and what you want to show us. Let us see you in the next 10, 15, 20 minutes that Lorne will take. Amen. 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 That's it, a time limit. It might be 25, actually. <laughs> I got the message. I got the message. But before I start, if you'd, uh, would you like to just put your left hands up? Could you just put your left hand up? And if you'd like to go A-P-E-P-T. A-P-E-P-T. Okay, do that again. A-P-E-P-T. Anybody who knows what they stand for? Apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. Right, well done. So if I put my hand up like this, the first person who's able to put their hand up and say A-P-E-P-T um, can have one of these. <laughs> I haven't put my hand up yet. Okay. Um, who is that? Trudy. I saw that. Thank you, Trudy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's Trudy's. You can share it if you want. Um, this will hopefully keep the kids awake because I'm hoping that some of the kids will um, be watching my hand very carefully and listening with their ears. Um, I heard about a woman um, who was having a really heated discussion with her husband and she suddenly told him to grow up. He was really upset, deeply offended, and he thought this accusation was grossly unfair. So he said to her, for that comment, guess who's not going to be playing in my sandpit or treehouse this afternoon? <laughs> often when we have heated discussions, I don't know about you, a person can often say, grow up. Jess Notting, who is the author of a blog called Unwritten, says there are three reasons why it's a good idea not to tell people to grow up. First reason is it won't produce anything. The second reason is it's totally disrespectful. And the third reason is it's pretty immature. And he goes on to say this, before you tell someone else to grow up, take a look at yourself. It may highlight a need for you to mature. Next time you feel like telling someone else to grow up, look at yourself. On the other hand, I was just reading a blog from a guy called Joel Lee, who wrote an essay called 11 Signs That You Need to Grow Up and Start to Act Like an Adult. And he had three of them. The first one was people who are always complaining. The second one was uh, people who hate to take responsibility and are not willing to make sacrifices for others. They need to grow up. Another sign is People who keep making the same mistakes. This, this is what he says. He says, growing older and growing up are two different things. Contrary to popular belief, maturity doesn't always come with age. In fact, many people go through the whole of their lives without ever scratching the surface. 
of what it means to be an adult. I could see that. Well done. You were watching all the time, weren't you? I was watching your eyes. Can you just say it again, what the words were? A-P-E-P-T. Very good. Today, what I want to look at is I want to look at growing up into Christian maturity. To grow up. What does that mean? We're looking at spiritual gifts, and we're considering Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this letter was not directed to a specific church. It was more than likely directed to a whole lot of churches because Ephesus was a missional center through which Paul had planted many churches in that region. So he was speaking more generally rather than to a specific church like Romans or the Corinthians. And um, here, Paul is talking about Christian maturity, growing up as a Christian. He wasn't cross with them in any way, and nor was he implying that they were particularly immature. But what he was doing is he was advising them on principles about how to grow as a Christian. Firstly, he talks about the aim of the Christian life. Secondly, he talks about the method by which to achieve the aim. And thirdly, he talks about the supreme example of Christian maturity. So, the aim of the Christian life. The aim of the Christian life here on earth, Paul says, is to become mature. It's to grow up. It's not to remain as infants. It's to grow up in every respect and become mature. He's saying that each person in the church needs to take responsibility for their growth. If they do that, the body will grow. If they don't do that, the body won't grow. And the aim is to become more and more like Christ, more and more like Jesus. Jesus was the most attractive, the most charismatic, the most loving, the kindest, and most powerful person that's ever lived. And that is the aim for us in our lives, to become like Christ. Now, I want to pause here and make a comment. There are some Christians who've been in church for decades who are still babies. They're still bottle-fed milk Christians. That's what the writer to Hebrews talks about, about people who are bottle-fed. They're milk Christians. They're like infants. They may be always coming to church and listening, but they're never growing. I remember once a lady called Nina, who I may well have talked to you about before, and I've got her testimony here. She'd been attending church for 50 years, and this is what she wrote in her testimony. I was very much a backseat pew lady, slipping into church at the very first hymn and hopefully slipping out again before the last hymn finished. One day, 
reluctantly, I agreed to do a spiritual growth course, thinking, and this was a quote, I don't suppose it will do me any harm to look into the eyes of Jesus again. During that course, she had a real encounter with the Holy Spirit in such a way that her faith took off. And within about four years, she was part of the praise and worship group as they gathered on Sunday. In her home, she was running a small group for other believers. Uh, She actually started to run an outreach ministry, reaching out to the elderly of the city and bringing them in on Fridays, a ministry called Drop In. And just before I left Wanganui, she was appointed to the council. She was like, became an elder. This is what she wrote at the end of her testimony. The Holy Spirit touch that weekend has opened up a vista of love, hitherto unknown to me. I'm no more conscious of, I'm now much more conscious of God's love flowing in me and through me. There's so much now more depth to my life. I believe this journey has only just begun. What a beautiful testimony. What a humble testimony to acknowledge that she was just, had been an infant after 50 years of attending church. On the other hand, I've also met some Christians who are quite new, who actually are maturing at quite a rapid rate. Um, The English theologian Tom Wright um, has a key here to rapid spiritual growth, and he says this, when someone has come to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and has discovered his presence and power in their lives, maturity can flow quickly. You're waiting for it, aren't you? I can see. You didn't even say it, but there you are. (laughs) Do you think you can say it? A-P-E-P-T. Well done. Well done. So Christian maturity, I want to say, is not determined by age or the years you've attended church. It's gained by a willingness to want to grow and a desire to become more and more like Christ. More like Jesus in character and in service and in works. The Apostle John said this, he said, whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus lived. I I think one of the hardest scriptures that is in the Bible is this one, and I, I hope you'll agree with me, this is really hard. Jesus said this, he says, I'm telling you the truth, whoever believes in me will do what I have been doing. He will. If you believe in me, he will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. Christian maturity, a guy called Kim Harrison says, is really hard because if it's easy, everybody would be doing it. Secondly, God has given the church a means by which people can grow. And this is where I'm going to put my hand up again and not be asking for um, chocolates, but um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, 
pastor-teacher. See, I had to write it on my finger there so I could remember them myself. But the apostle, um, it's a good way to remember this, apostle, past, uh, prophet, evangelist, pastor-teacher. And the thing is, the apostle touches all of them. I'll tell you about that in a minute. The prophet is always pointing the way. The evangelist, which is the longest finger, is always reaching out beyond the rest of the fingers. The pastor is the ring finger, the one who loves and cares for people. And the teacher's the one that gets in your ear, <laughs> like I am now. So this is what Paul says. He says, it's he who gave gifts to, 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 to the people. He appointed some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. He did this to prepare God's people for the works of service in order to build up the body of Christ. And in verse 16, he says, so when each separate part works, as it should, the whole body will grow and build itself up. So the idea is that these ministries are released into the church to cause the church to grow. Now I want to tell you a little story that I may well have told a number of years ago. Pardon me if you've heard this, but many, many years ago, I was appointed to coach a rowing crew. It was my very first coaching opportunity when I was a school teacher down in Wanganui. It was a coxed four rowing crew, so it had four oarsmen and a little coxswain who sat at the back of the boat directing the boat. Um, and I was completely new. All I'd done was read a few books about rowing and been out in a boat with the coach of the first eight, who was a really good coach, and watched what he did. And then he said to me, Lorne, you've done enough now. You've sat in the coach boat. You need to get out and coach a crew. That's the only way you're going to learn. So I said, okay. So he gave me the rejects out of his crew. There were five boys who never made the first eight who were really g'd off with the coach for not making the first eight. And they were so determined to, to beat the top four in the school, that was the one thing to their credit. They wanted to grow. They wanted to get better. They wanted to win. And I said to them, look, you know I'm not a very experienced coach, but I'll do my best. And so what I did was... I got other coaches to come in and to help coach them with me. So if we needed to practice starts, I'd get a coach who I knew was really good on starts. So he'd come in for a couple of sessions and I'd sit in the boat there. Um, he'd teach them and then I'd pick up what he was doing and then I'd take it on from there. Or if they needed sprint practice, like in a 2,000 meter race, it's endurance, but sometimes you've got to sprint to get ahead of another boat. And I'd, I'd get a coach who was good at sprinting. And I got another coach who was really good on technique. So all these coaches came in. But the thing about it was that the one thing the boys had in their favor, apart from a really bad coach like me, was they had this desire to win. Another thing that I tried, which I was told later I should never try, was I actually tried swapping the boys around in the boat so people who rode on the stroke side could go on the bow side. And my thinking was that if they could learn to do that, they would actually be better oarsmen and they would learn what it's like for other people in the boat. Um, and it seemed to work okay. Anyway, 
came to the end of the season and we went down to Wellington to the uh, uh, top regatta, schoolboys regatta, the Wellington Schools regatta on the foreshore. And we were in the same race as the top crew of the first eight and the second crew of the first eight, and we were kind of number three. So there were three Wanganui Collegiate fours, and my boys won the race. We went home in the bus, and the coach would not speak to me. He was absolutely furious. He was furious with his boys, and he was furious with me. But the point was, this is the picture. The picture I want to give to you is that those boys were determined to grow. They were determined to win. And it's a picture, if you like, of the church. The first point is this. Just as they desired to win, every one of us as Christians need to desire to grow to maturity. We need to be teachable. We don't know it all. Are we teachable? The second point is, just as we got different coaches in to help them, so God has released into the church these five ministry gifts. And I want to talk a little bit about those, just briefly. The last two, the what are the last two? The pastor and the teacher. They are ministers who are normally um, in the same location caring for a congregation. Um, uh, the pastor is a more tender-hearted person who holds, who um, shepherds the flock, um, who's caring for God's people, um, and they're always seeking to com bring comfort to people and encouragement to people. That's the pastor's role. The teacher is always someone who's wanting to hold out God's truth so people hear the truth um, and they're encouraged by the truth and they're challenged by the truth. And a teacher always wants to help people to apply the truth to their lives. The other three, the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist, tend to be more itinerant. Itinerant means they kind of move from congregation to congregation, um, moving around more, um, and releasing special gifts into the church. Now, that's not always true. And I believe that in the congregation... In any congregation, there are always apostles sitting there and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. I believe in this room here. Some of you are apostles. Some of you are prophets. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are pastors. Some of you are teachers because God wants you to grow up. He wants us all to grow up. And what the apostle does, he's more of a visionary person, a person who's pioneering into new areas, who always wants to see new territory gained for the Lord. He wants to establish, or she wants to establish, new churches or new non-profits or anything that's going to see the kingdom of God grow in the community. That's the apostolic gifting. The prophetic gifting is a special gift in hearing God uh, and what God's saying to the church right now, and this is the way we should go. A special anointing to give direction to the church. Prophets understand the times that we're living in and what the church should be doing. And fi finally, the evangelist. The evangelist is always one who wants to bring good news to people. Um, he, he wants to... Uh, he, he, they, they quite like spending time with non-Christians because they are wanting to bring the good news of Christ to them. And they're constantly reminding the church that we have a job to do. 
it's not good enough just to love each other in the church. We have a job to love people outside the church and bring good news to them. Finally, the third thing that this little picture of the rowing crew teaches is this. As the boys were willing to change position in the boat to become better oarsmen, each of us need to step out of our comfort zone and try new things that we might say, I'm not gifted to do that. I can always remember a lady, Sue will remember her name in a minute, who always used to stand behind the teapot and say, that's my job, just pouring cups of tea for people. And I said, uh-uh, it isn't. I said, come and help us run an alpha course. And she actually ended up being a, um, a leader of a group and led some women to faith. And she became a sub-leader in a home group. So from behind the teapot, she grew. And so these gifts are here to challenge us, to teach us, to encourage us to grow. I think a real example, if I don't mind, if Elaine Holwell doesn't mind using her as an example at the moment, but something that's happening in our church at the moment is this, is Elaine probably does, she might correct me afterwards, doesn't have an apostolic gifting, but she has more of a pastoral prophetic gifting, yet she is being going out on Tuesdays to open doorways, to open places to the possibility of the gospel coming into that workplace. That's an example. Another example is that our church right now is moving into a time of prayer and evangelistic ministry. And the idea is that everyone in the church needs to get involved. It's not good enough to just allow some keen people to get involved and say, well, it's not for me. And so we're entering a time where at the end of this month we've got a gospel and healing service and we want you to bring your friends, to bring your neighbours. If you know someone's sick, bring them along. A little bit later in July, we're going to be running an Alpha course, and we want you all to bring your friends to the dinner. And one of the things we're going to propose to you just in the notice time at the end is a, 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 just a prayer strategy for getting out into your little local communities and start praying for people to come to Christ. This is the evangelistic ministry. Paul said to Timothy, who was a pastor, he said, do the work of an evangelist because he wanted Timothy to grow up. Finally, the supreme example of Christian maturity is, of course, Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says this, we should all become mature people, reaching to the very height of Christ's full stature. Grow up to become like Jesus. That's the call. Jesus was the model apostle. He left heaven and he came to earth to plant something new, the kingdom of God it's called. He was the apostle coming from heaven to plant a new kingdom. He was the perfect prophet. Jesus was the fulfillment of so many prophecies, which he pointed to himself, but he also was someone calling to people to repent now. And he also prophesied a number of things that were going to happen into the future. For example, he prophesied the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He said to the Jews, not one stone is going to be left in the city because you 
rejected the day that the Lord was calling you to come to him. He was the perfect evangelist. He called people, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, all sorts of people. He said, come follow me, come follow me. And as an evangelist, what he did was he laid hand on the sick and he saw people get well and they turned and they followed him. Demons were cast out of people and they started to follow Christ. As a pastor, he had love and compassion for the people right on the edge of society. He had compassion for the adulterous. He had compassion for the leper, the outcast that everybody rejected. He was the perfect pastor. And finally, he was a teacher. You know, there's been no more sublime teaching than Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Somebody called it once the supreme jewel in the crown of Jesus' teaching. To love, your en- to love your friends is easy. Is it easy to love your enemies? Is it easy to love the people who persecute you? It's not. But Jesus taught that. And he wants us to grow up to be like that. So I want to conclude by suggesting a little challenge to you that you might like to consider today. Um, I've printed off a sheet here which defines the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher in more detail. And it's got a little exercise at the bottom for you to think about if you'd like to do it. I've left it just in the hallway on on the way out. And basically what it is, is to take a passage of scripture, like I took Luke chapter 4 and 5, like that, I photocopied it off from my photocopier, and I took five coloured pens, and I highlighted every time Jesus was operating in either an apostolic gift, a prophetic gift, an evangelistic gift, a pastor's gift, or a teacher's gift, to try and learn more myself about what these gifts mean. And that's how my page ended up. Now, you might have a totally free afternoon, so you might like to print out a whole gospel and try it. Um, The thing is, somebody once said this. They said, if I can just find the quote, it's a pretty good one. So I need to find it, don't I? One, two, three, four, page five. Oh, I won't read it out if I can't find it. I did have it here. I thought it was a good quote. Here we are. It's not the number of books you read, nor the variety of sermons that you hear, but it is the frequency and earnestness with which you meditate on these things till the truth in them becomes your own and part of who you are. That will ensure that you grow. Meditation on the word of God, yourself, ourselves, will cause us to grow the most. And in this little exercise, I propose you do two things. If you find there's something that really excites you, that is probably your primary function. You might be an apostle, you might be a prophet, you might be an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. And I would say that if you discover what that is, get together with someone and pray with them. Come and talk to me or Howard or one of the elders and pray with them about it. The other thing is, if you find something in this that is totally challenging, that you say, oh, I could never do that, that might be God calling you to do that. That's the point. 
And I would encourage you, if you feel that, oh, God may be calling me to step out into this area of Christian ministry, find someone to pray with, and, or even try it, just try it. I was with a friend, I won't tell you who it was, the other day, we were at a little picnic, and um, I noticed it was really windy, and I really appreciate it, because he didn't know that I noticed, but he's, he stuck up his hand and he said, weather quietened down, just kind of quietly like that, and then he put his hand down. It was kind of, um, it was kind of not um, commanding, but I could see what he was trying to do. He was trying to do something that Jesus did. Jesus calmed the storm. And we're called to grow up. And our church will never grow up to maturity unless we all take responsibility, unless we all get involved. Sometimes it means reprioritizing our lives and looking at things that are not producing fruit in the kingdom and saying, I don't need to do that anymore. I need to be kingdom focused. I want to cross the line first. Because that is Paul's aim for us, that we grow up. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is a living word. Um, help us all, Lord, in this community of faith, Lord, to take a hold of what you're saying to us today, uh, to get involved, to be part of your great mission here in our city. Lord, to see the church grow, to see people coming to faith, to see ourselves grow and to try new things. Uh, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you just pour out your spirit on each one of us as we um, head on into the rest of this day and into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.